Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. This is Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be getting into Chapter 11 of Polygamy in the Bible. We'll be on pages 115 to 121. And the title of the chapter is Bathsheba the Beautiful. The reader program portion of the program. It's about 12 minutes long, and then we'll get into the reading and the commentary portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. The phone lines will be open for questions and comments about theology. Thank you for listening to this program. Here we go. Bathsheba, the beautiful, chapter 11 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 115 to 121, hearken unto me now therefore, O ye children, and attend the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Proverbs 724-26 It was springtime and Israel was at war with the Ammonites. David should have been out on the battlefield, but he made the mistake of staying home. One day David was taking a little stroll, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. 2 Sam 11 2. Not satisfied with just looking, he invited her up to his apartment. The woman's name was Bathsheba, and she accepted the invitation. It was a Hollywood romance in Dash Love at first sight, and it didn't stop until after it reached the chamber. In that fateful moment, David made a tragic mistake in his spotless character, an event that troubled him the rest of his life. 116, this close encounter resulted in the pregnancy of Bathsheba, but she was already married to a soldier named Uri, who was out on the battlefield. To cover his sin, David called for Uri to come home, but he was a devoted soldier who wouldn't sleep with his wife while his brothers were fighting in battle. David then added sin to sin by sending Uri to the front line of battle with orders for the soldiers to retreat leaving Uri to the mercy of the Ammonites. When news of Uri's death came back to David, he made public notice that he was taking Bathsheba to be his wife. He thought his nefarious deed was well covered. It was, to the Israelites, but not to God. Nathan, 
the prophet, came to King David with a problem. He related this story. There were two men in the city. One was rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb. Now when he wanted to take a lamb to dress it, he desired not to take of his own flock, but took the poor man's lamb. David's anger was greatly kindled against the rich man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Then Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. See 2 Sam 12, 1-7 Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 117 There are several things to consider in David's affair with Bathsheba. It is important for us to understand what was legal and what was a legal one. Remorse When David committed his sin with another man's wife, he suffered agony of mind and torment in his soul. Nowhere did he suffer any remorse or sorrow for his polygamous relationships. Polygamy was legal and proper, but his intercourse with Bathsheba was a heinous sin. 2. Rebuke For his hidden sin of adultery, a prophet of God immediately came and rebuked him for the deed. In all the years that David lived polygamy, none of the prophets ever mentioned it to him as a sin. 3. Curses When David committed adultery, God immediately put a curse on him and his house. 1. At the child born of this illegal intercourse was struck dead by the Lord. 1. B. The Lord pronounced a curse upon David for his adultery by saying that, The sword shall never depart from thine house, and I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. The later rape and incest of his daughter, Tamar, was part of it. Then the murder of his son, Ammon, and the death of his son, Absalom, was further evidence. As though this were not enough, David sang a song in which he pled with the Lord to heal the bones which thou hast broken, and that he may hide thy face from my sins. Psalms 51, 8-9 David never had any such things happen to him because of all the women he took as wives. 118, 4 Sons and Bastards a definite distinction is made between a child acceptable through a polygamous marriage and another born in sin. David's child that was born in adultery was destined to die, in spite of all the prayers and pleadings of David. The law in Israel was that a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation. Jude 23, 2 and the Lord struck the child that Uri's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted, and went in, and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose, and went to him, to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day, that the child died. 2 Sam 
12, 15-18, neither God nor David ever called this illegitimate child a son. I cannot help observing on this occasion, which is, that the adulterous offspring of David by Bathsheba, the wife of Uri, begotten by David during the lifetime of Uri, is mentioned twelve times in eight verses, and is not once called a son, but the man-child. David, who, before he came to a sight and sense of his sin, might have called it to himself, but after he was awakened to a due sense of his iniquity, not all the torments which he endured while the child was sick, nor the news of its death, ever induced him to call 119 it my son, but then dashed the man-child. How differently did he express himself on the news of the death of Absalom to Sam? 1833, and Sam. 19:4, where eight times in two verses he repeats Pendash Absalom, my son, my son, etc. I'll venture to suppose that, if David had been asked the cause of this distinction, we should have reason to think he saw a most important difference between a child begotten in adultery, and a son begotten and born under polygamy. Philip Tara, Volume 2, 18-19. However, after that child was dead, then another was born in wedlock Solomon, who later became the builder of a temple and the king of Israel. He became the mouth of the people in prayer, and offered sacrifices in the temple and its dedication. His prayer to God was heard, and the house was so filled with God's glory that the priests could not stand to minister. A Kings 8.11 Thus, the child born in adultery was not considered a son, had no rights in Israel, and had to die. When Bathsheba and David were lawfully carried, then God acknowledged the union, and the child born of this legal marriage was called a son and had the inheritance with all the rights of a son. God himself was the judge and administrator of the Lord, showing punishment for David's adultery, yet blessing his lawful polygamy. 5. Chastisement The Lord chastised David by saying, I will take thy wives and give them unto thy neighbor before thine eyes. 2 Sam 12, 11 If polygamy were a sin, why would God take 120 David's wives and give them to another? thus making a polygamist out of him and dash if he wasn't one already? David's adultery was also a sin against his wives, so the Lord chastised David by taking them away from him. 6. Sin The Lord said, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life save only in the matter of Uri the Hittite. I Kings 15, 5 If David was doing that which was right all the days of his life, then his living polygamy was right in the eyes of God, but his dealing with Bathsheba and Uri was a sin. 7. Inheritances The civil law among the Jews was essentially the son who seeks an inheritance, or estate by succession as the son, or to prove his sonship. This was based somewhat on Jude. 23, 2, 
the child born of David's adulterous intercourse with Bathsheba, was not a son and dash that is, one who has the rights of lawful inheritances. It was for this reason that the child had to die, in spite of all of David's pleadings with the Lord for his life. He could not have title to the inheritances and the blessings, nor the scepter which the Messiah should receive in that line. If polygamy would have been considered a sin, equal to that 121 of adultery, then his son Solomon would not have been able to receive that kingship from his father, nor to pass it on down through his seed either. Thus we see the tremendous difference between a child born in polygamy and one that is born in adultery. One has all the rights and privileges and dash the other none. There is no clearer illustration of the absolute difference between polygamy and adultery anywhere in the Bible than in this account of David, Bathsheba, and their children. 122, chapter 12, The Throne of King David. Okay, we'll get into the reading portion of the program now. It's a pretty quick chapter, which sometimes is nice. We might read something else tonight, I'm not sure. But let's get into this, uh, the commentary portion of the program. Bathsheba the Beautiful, Chapter 11 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 115 to 121. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been able to... uh, have been slain by her. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 24 through 26. It was springtime, and Israel was at war with the Ammonites. David should have been out on the battlefield, but he made the mistake of staying home. One day, David was taking a little stroll, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Not satisfied with just looking, he invited her up to his apartment. The woman's name was Bathsheba, and she accepted the invitation. It was a Hollywood romance, love at first sight, and it didn't stop until after it reached the bedchamber. In that fateful moment... David made a tragic mistake in his spotless character, an event that troubled him the rest of his life. Page 116. This close encounter resulted in the pregnancy of Bathsheba, but she was already married to a soldier named Uriah, who was out on the battlefield. To cover his sin, David called Uriah to come home, but he was a devoted soldier who wouldn't sleep with his wife while his brothers were fighting in battle. 
David then added sin to sin by sending Uriah to the front line of the battle with orders for the soldiers to retreat, leaving Uriah to the mercy of the Ammonites. When news came back of Uriah's death, he was, uh, well, let me see here. When news of Uriah's death came back to David, he was pub. He made public notice that he was taking Bathsheba to be his wife. He thought his nefarious deed was well covered. It was to the Israelites, but not to God. Nathan the prophet came, came to King David with a problem. He related his story. Quote, there were two men in the city. One was rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. Now when he wanted to take the lamb to dress it, he desired not to take of his own flock, but took of the poor man's lamb. David's anger was greatly kindled against the rich man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Then Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. When David said to Nathan, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Page 117. There are several things to consider in David's affair with Bathsheba. It is important for us to understand what was legal and what was illegal. Number one, remorse. When David, David, when David committed his sin with another man's wife, he suffered agony of mind and tormented in his soul. Nowhere did he suffer any remorse or sorrow for his polygamous relationships. Polygamy was legal and proper, but his intercourse with Bathsheba was a heinous sin. Number two, rebuke. For his hidden sin of adultery, a prophet of God immediately came and rebuked him for the deed. In all the years that David lived polygamy, none of the prophets ever mentioned to him mentioned it to him as a sin. Number three, curses. When David committed adultery, God immediately put a curse on him and his household. For one, the child born of this illegal intercourse was struck dead by the Lord. Number two, the Lord pronounced a curse upon David for his adultery, his adultery by saying that the sword shall never depart from thine house. And I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. Then later rape and incest of his daughter Tamar was part of it. Then the murder of his son Ammon and the death of his son Absalom was further evidence. As though this were not enough, David sang a song in which he pled with the Lord to heal 
the bones which thou hast broken, and that he may hide thy face from my sin. Psalms chapter 51 verses 8 and 9. David never had any such things happen to him because of all of the women he took as wives. Page 18, uh, 118. Number 4. Sons and Bastards. A definite distinction is made between the child, a child acceptable through polygamous marriage and another born in sin. David's child that was born in adultery was destined to die. In spite of all the prayers and pleadings of David, the law in Israel was that a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord, even to his tenth generation. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted, and went in and lay all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went up to him to raise him up for the earth, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 through 18. Neither God nor David ever called the illegitimate child a son. I cannot help but observing on this occasion, which is, that the adulterous offspring of David by Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, begotten by David, during the lifetime of Uriah is mentioned twelve times in eight verses, and is not once called the son, but the man-child. David, who before he came in sight and sense of his sin, might have called it so himself, but after he was awakened to a due sense of his iniquity, not all the torment which he endured while the child was sick, nor the news of its death ever in induced him to call it my son, but the man-child. Page 119. How differently did he express himself on the news of the death of Absalom? 2 Samuel chapter 18 verse 33 and Samuel chapter 19 verse 4 where eight times in two verses he repeats O Absalom, my son, my son, etc. I'll venture to suppose that if David had been asked the cause of this distinction we should have reason to think he saw a most important difference between a child begotten in adultery and a son begotten and born under polygamy. And that is an uh, end quote from Thelaphithora. I can't say that. It's T-H-E-L-Y-P-H-T-H-O-R-A. Thelaphithora. Thelaphithora? Volume 2, page Pages one hundred. I'm sorry. Pages eighteen through nineteen. 
How after, however, after the child was dead, then another was born in wedlock, and that was Shlomo, or Solomon, who later became the builder of a temple and the king of Israel. He became the mouth of the people in prayer and offered sacrifice in the temple at, at its dedication. His prayer to God was heard, and the house was so filled with God's glory that the priests could not stand in to minister. And that is found in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 11. So when God accepts a temple, the glory of God fills the temple, and light is throughout the temple. That's the Shekinah glory of God. And so what I'm talking about, like, the Kirtland Temple had the Shekinah glory of God rest upon it because it was um, it was accepted by God, but the Nauvoo Temple never did. So, and I'm not talking about oh, there was a light in the temple. I saw that there was a light in the and there was no electricity in the temple. And I'm talking to you, Tonopah. I'm sorry. I just I. Did your temple glow with the Shekinah glory of God, or did you see a light in the temple which wasn't the Shekinah glory of God? So these people out in Tonopah, Nevada have a temple, and I love their branch, and I love the people of that branch, but they think that they're set in order, and I know they're not. And I don't know, it's just, I don't know. Anyway, I I probably shouldn't get off into those tangents, but it drives me a little bit nuts. Anyway, one of their 70s actually saw... Um, he was there when I was setting apart a patriarch in the Church of the Living Messiah in the School of the Prophets. And the Spirit was so strong that he... He kind of was intercepting what God was telling me to say during the setting apart and the ordinance were, uh, of, of doing that. And he knew what I was going to say before I said it because the spirit was so strong and he was receptive to it. But then he goes off and he does the 70 work, you know, and he, he likes the temple that they have and he likes whatever, their meetings. And uh, I don't know. I have a feeling, I feel like I'm a failure as a, as a witness. I guess, I don't know, I don't want to talk about that right now. I just feel, I feel like a failure. Like, I know what God's told me to do, I've tried to do it, and, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to keep plugging along, but I really do feel like a failure. Anyway, thus the child born in adultery was not considered a son, had no rights in Israel, and had to die. When Bathsheba and David were lawfully carried, then God acknowledged the union, and the child born of this legal marriage was called a son, and had the inheritance with all the rights of a son. God himself was the judge and administer of the law, showing punishment for David's adultery, yet blessing his lawful
polygamy. Point five, chastisement. The Lord chastised David by saying, I will take thy wives and give them unto thy neighbor before thine eyes. Second Samuel chapter 12 verse 11. If polyandry were a sin, why would God take David's wives and give them to another, thus making a polygamist out of him if he wasn't already one already? David's idolatry, David's adultery was also a sin against the wives, so the, the Lord chastised David by taking them away from him. Number six, sin. The Lord said, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. Interesting. Oh, well, hold on here. I accidentally turned off the screen okay if david was doing that which was right all the days of his life then his living polygamy was right in the eyes of god but his dealing with bathsheba and uriah was a sin inheritances the civil law again among the jews was essentially a son who seeks an inheritance or a state by secession as a son ought to prove his sonship. This was based somewhat on Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 2. The child born of David's adulterous intercourse with Bathsheba was not a son that is one who has the rights of lawful inheritance. It was for this reason that the child had to die in spite of all of David's pleadings with the Lord for his life. He could not have title to the inheritance and the blessings, nor the scepter which the Messiah should receive in that line if polygamy would have been considered a sin equal to that of adultery. Page 121. Then his son Solomon would not have been able to receive the kingship from his father, nor to pass it on down through his seed either. Thus we see the tremendous difference between the child born in polygamy and one that is born in adultery. One has all the rights and privileges, and the other has none. There is no clearer illustration of the absolute difference between polygamy and adultery anywhere in the Bible that in this account, then in this account of David, Bathsheba, and their children. So that's the end of the chapter. Uh, when we come back on for the next reading, we'll be on page 122, and that's chapter 12, and we'll be talking about the throne of King David. So, like I said, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And uh, I think I have something else that we might be getting into, but um, I'm not sure if my wife is going to be going to the church thing tonight or not. So 
I guess we'll leave it up to them to decide what they're going to do. But, yeah, it's a really short program, and uh, I don't know what else to do about that. I do have to uh, wrap up this recording and get going. So, anyway, thank you for listening to the program. Take care, everyone. God bless. And uh, I guess I'll just open the phone lines for anybody that wants to call in. Thank you. My uh, wife is not able to be on the program tonight. Um, I'm going to play one thing, and then I think we'll just be done with the program for tonight, if I can get it to work. Let's see here. Yeah, we'll play this. It's only uh, 16 minutes long, and then uh, if we don't have anybody call in, then uh, we'll extend the program. Here we go. School of the Prophets, the first oath and covenant of the priesthood. All those who enter into the School of the Prophets or the Relief Society shall have taken the oath and covenant of the priesthood upon them, which oath is done by raising both hands to the square and saying, O Father, unto thee I pledge my oath. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I will do all in my power to bring thy kingdom upon the earth. I covenant with thee that I will take thee as my law, and I will obey thy revelations unto me, whether they be revelations given to me or to another, but which are confirmed to me. It is the same. I know that ye cannot fail, and that I must obey the law upon which any blessing is predicated to get the good of that blessing. Even so, amen. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the school of the sons and daughters of the gods, even the school of, of magi and of prophets and of seers and of of priests and priestesses, kings and queens. I am the teacher that hath been appointed for this school, and I am standing in my place at the head of the circle, for there shall be established a circle with a triangle in the middle. The teacher and priest at the head of the circle is Elijah. The king upon the right side is called Messiah, and the magi upon the left is called Elias. You have come unto the house of the Lord to receive your second endowment, in the school of the prophets and in the Relief Society, the mysteries of God shall be revealed unto you in the bonds of brotherhood, sisterhood, charity, and love. All the rooms which ye shall meet in for the school of the prophets from this day forth shall be dedicated as a temple unto the living God, which is his house, even a house of prayer, a house of fasting, a house of faith, a house of learning, a house of glory, a house of order, a house of God. Wherefore, if ye will obey the order of this house, ye will speak in turn, walk in turn, and let the love and charity that ye have one for another grow as ye perform these ordinances. For the order of the ordinances in this house alone will expand the love ye have for one another. Dedicatory Prayer The dedicatory prayer is a prayer of dedication by the inspiration of the Spirit, dedicating it as a school and temple of God. Inviting God into the house or dedicated room. Also take a white handkerchief and waving them say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Amen, Amen, and Amen. Now all those who wish to accept the obligations and blessings of the endowment, please raise your hands. Very well. 
Washing of feet. The holy priest is the holder washing the feet shall invite the patron to sit down and place a basin of water in front of him to put his feet in. The holy priest the holder will then take off his garments and set them nearby and gird himself with a long towel like a temple robe over one shoulder. He will then kneel down and begin the washing of the feet, saying, Brother, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son of God, I wash your feet, preparatory to receiving your second anointing in the house of the Lord, that you may rule and reign in the house of Israel, or Adam, forever. And at this time wash you clean, every whit, that you are now clean from the blood and sins of this generation. I wash you clean of the blood and sins of this generation, and again I wash you clean of the blood and sins of this generation, that you may be called up and come forth in the morning of the first resurrection, and be clean without spot at the judgment bar of God, for you have done your part to warn the people of this generation, ridding your garments of their blood. Wherefore I declare by the authority of the holy priesthood that you are clean, and that your sins are forgiven if ye have repented. And I do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This does not need to be the exact wording, but it, this is an example of the washing of feet. Salute. Now behold, mine son, after this has been done, he shall be accepted into the school by raising both hands high in the salute, and the priest, and the priest shall also raise his hands high in the salute, and the priest shall say, Art thou a brother of brethren? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which covenant I receive you to fellowship in a, in a determination that is fixed, immovable, and unchangeable, to be your friend and brother through the grace of God and the bonds of love, to walk in all the commandments of God, blameless, in thanksgiving, forever and ever. Amen. And he that is found unworthy of this salutation shall not have place among you, for ye shall not suffer that mine house shall be polluted by him. And he that cometh in and is faithful before me, and is a brother, or if they be brethren, they shall salute the president or teacher with uplifted hands to heaven with this same prayer and covenant or by saying, Amen, in token of the same. For behold, these words I give, gave to Joseph Smith, and they have not been abrogated. This shall be done in every session of the School of the Prophets and the Relief Society. Healing and Blessing Sisters are to give each other blessings of healing and comfort by the laying on of hands in the Relief Society. Brethren are to do the same when they are moved upon to do so. Brethren and sisters may also bless and dedicate handkerchiefs, to assist in the healing of the sick, as well as blessing and dedicating other objects for purposes of power in the priesthood. Objects which are for protection and not for healing should be blessed with a rod or wand. Being Married to Christ Do you have faith that Jesus is the Christ? Yes. Then confess his name and covenant to never deny him as a testimony to the world. The Initiate's Own Words Then Thus saith the Lord to my messenger, Verily, verily, I say unto you, my son, I give unto you a commandment, declaring unto you that they who receive you receive me, and if they receive me, they receive him that sent you, to salute them with my salutation in remembrance of my everlasting covenant, which I have received you to fellowship. May they receive you also as you receive them, that they may be clean from the blood of this generation, and be received by the washing of the feet, for unto this end was the ordinance of washing of feet instituted, being bound together in the bonds of brotherly love, and sealed together by the covenant of life and peace, 
which covenant abideth forever with the celestial saints, or in other words, the married uh, to Christ. And he that continueth not in this covenant shall not have place among you, for ye shall not suffer my house to be polluted by them, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. All those in the school shall then either wash one another's feet, or give the holy kiss in token of the same. And they shall say to one another, Do you receive me to be your friend and brother? Are you willing to salute me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in token and or remembrance of the everlasting covenant in which you receive me to fellowship in a determination that is fixed, immutable, and unchangeable to be your friend and brother through the grace of God in the bonds of love to walk in their commandments of God blameless and thanksgiving forever and ever? Amen. Amen. Are you willing to show to the world that you are clean from the blood of this generation? Do you covenant with me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And in the presence of these witnesses, that you will love your companions in life as Christ loves the church, that you will cherish each other, comfort each other, forsaking all others who are not in the holy order, so long as you live? Yes. Having authority, I seal thee, brother, unto the anointed gods, even Christ, both male and female, and seal thee unto myself as mine own son in the first household of Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Now men may be sealed to their wives in the second sealing, by taking them by the hand and saying, Art thou my sister? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which I covenant to receive you to fellowship in a determination which is fixed and movable and unchangeable, to be your friend and brother, through the grace of God, in the bonds of love, to walk in all the commandments of God, blameless and thanksgiving, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Behold, sisters may also make the covenant and say, Amen, in token of the same. Also to the unmarried, I the Lord willeth that you should, be, you should marry in, in the order, that I may have a pure people, saith the Lord. All who have covenanted to only marry within the holy order say, Amen. Amen. This order shall not be broken by any until they themselves stand in the garden of paradise, ready to fall, lest they be destroyed. Amen. Amen. Covenant to enter into a united order. The patron receiving it will put his arm to the square and repeat after he who is administering the covenant, saying, I, brother, so-and-so, do covenant and promise before God, angels, and these brethren in the united order, that I will consecrate all my mind, strength, and wealth unto this united order, and that I will hold all things in common with my brethren according to my stewardship, and I do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Baptism into the United Order After dedicating the water and going into the water as described above, you hold on to the one being baptized and raising your right arm to the square you say. Brother, by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood, which I hold, I baptize you into the order of Enoch, which is the united order before God, and I say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Of the Holy Spirit, Amen. You then immerse them in the water, and then undedicate the water. The Meal of the Prophets The members of the school and or relief society shall sit at a table. A glass of wine and a small stack of flatbread shall be provided for each member. A blessing shall be given. O Father, which art in heaven, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son, we bless this bread to all the souls which shall partake of it, that they may do it in fellowship and brotherhood, being knit in one through the love of Christ, which is charity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 
O Father, which art in heaven, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son, we bless this wine to the souls which shall drink of it, that they may do it in the Spirit, worshipping thee and their mother in spirit and in truth, being knit in one through charity, the greatest of all. For we know that if we are not one, then we are not yours. Even so, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The washing of with alcohol. When only men are present, then there can be a washing with a cloth and alcohol. Brother, having authority, I wash your body clean, that it may be healthy, strong, and full of virtue and power. I wash your sins away with charity, making your garments white, even making thee clean every whit of the blood and sins of this generation. I do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The Provisional Anointing Brother, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I pour this holy consecrated oil upon thy head, and give unto, thee, unto you a holy anointing. I anoint and ordain thee a king and a priest of the Most High God, to rule and reign in the house of Israel forever, predicated upon this anointing being sealed. I give thee power to bind on earth, and have it bound in heaven. And whomsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whomsoever thou shalt curse shall be cursed, and whomsoever thou shalt bless shall be blessed. But remember that these things must be done in accordance with those things which have been done before the foundations of the world. I bless thee that ye shall come forth in the first and holy resurrection, and I even ordain you to be one of the sons Amen. I bless thy head and mind that you may receive revelations in carrying on the work. I bless thy eyes that ye may see visions and the eternal worlds. I bless thy nose that ye may smell the sweet smells of the eternal worlds. I bless thy mouth that ye may speak truth. I give thee this holy anointing in the name of Elohim, and in the name of Jehovah, and in the name of the Godhead of this earth, even Michael, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, who presides over the spirits of just men and women made perfect. Amen. Patriarchal Blessing Brother, by the authority of the patriarchal priesthood and, in the, and the priesthood after the order of the Son, I lay my hands upon your head and give you a patriarchal blessing in the school of the prophets. Then you shall give the blessing by the Spirit, and do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Council of the Prophets The keys of the Holy Kiss shall be given. The first or ironic sign of the Holy Kiss is made by embracing and kissing the right cheek, and then the left, and then the right again, and saying, Peace be upon you. The second or Melchizedek sign of the Holy Kiss is made by embracing and kissing the right cheek, and then the left cheek, and then the forehead, and saying, Peace be upon you. The third or patriarchal sign of the Holy Kiss is to kiss upon the lips and saying, God be with you. The first Holy Kiss is for brethren and sisters in the priesthood and siblings. The second Holy Kiss is for parent and child in the priesthood or familial bonds. The third Holy Kiss is for eternal mates or fellow eternal members of the Holy Order of the opposite gender that you love or are attracted to and feel close enough to, sufficient to merit this kiss. If the motion of this kiss, Holy Kiss is not reciprocated, and continue with the first in all charity and love. Let all receive it. Let all who are present give the appropriate holy kiss to those sitting upon their right hand and upon their left, and saying unto them, Peace be upon you, or God be with you, or Shalom in token of the same. That will do. Now the members of the holy, the school of orderly society shall return to the circle and a rod presented. Brethren and sisters, this rod is the rod of the word of God, and whoever shall hold the rod hath the right to speak, and all others must be silent until the possessor of the rod hath finished speaking. If you desire to speak, you should put 
your right foot forward until he who possesses the rod shall give thee the rod. Now if he shall continue to speak long enough after that, that it seemeth he is ignoring a brother or a sister, or a mother or a father, or a son or a daughter in the Lord, then all shall put their feet out also. He shall then repent himself of speaking and give the rod away. The rod is the word of and law of God, and that which is confirmed by the members. Having felt the Spirit shall be considered scripture. Members shall confirm a saying by raising both hands above their head and repeating it, and then saying Amen, after it hath been proposed for a vote. Behold, brethren, now that we are one, let the mysteries be opened up unto us. Okay, Emmett, unmute yourself. Are you there? I'm here. Hi. Hi. So my son just got home, and uh, there's something else that I wanted to talk about. And I wish my wife was on, and I actually wish that there was more people that could talk about this, because I don't even know. All I know is that um, there's a group of people and uh, that they don't like polygamy and they want to ignore everything else the scriptures say about polygamy in the Bible so that they can to say that polygamy is an abomination, which is kind of strange because it doesn't say that anywhere else in the scriptures other than the whole thing about multiplying of wives, which is not polygamy like I keep on saying. Anyway, I'm going to go into the depth, but I can still hear you. Can you uh, begin to read that article, and then we'll just go over things as they come on uh, along. Are you there? Emma? Yeah, hold on. Okay. Um, okay, got it. Um. I do that. Uh, I scrolled the screen a bit to the right. Hold on. Okay. Um, it is called Is Polygamy a True Law of God? by Trisha Woolley, Dustin Smith, and Dustin Grady. Introduction. Jacob's sermon about having multiple wives and concubines contains a phrase, contains a phrase which has always been considered the justification clause for when polygamy is allowed by God. <clears throat> allowable by God. Statement comes from verse 30 of Jacob 2. For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people to have many wives. Uh, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. Obey the traditional com- or commandment of one man and one wife. Jacob 2, verse 30. The following verse-by-verse breakdown of Jacob's sermon, however, shows that this justification clause is actually the opposite of what Jacob was trying to communicate. Before we begin, here is a review of the three phases and how they get misinterpreted. One, to raise up seed unto me allegedly means to have lots of babies slash children. To command my people allegedly means to allow polygamy slash command polygamy. Three, they shall hearken unto these things. That allegedly means without my commandment for polygamy, they must only have one wife or husband. As will be laid out in this article, 
Oh, um, I scrolled down a bit too far. As will be laid out in the Okay, article, well, don't do that. I know. Um, okay, you have, have to give me time to pause. You have to, like, give me time to respond to parts. I'm a... Respond. So, like, the scripture, just, like, you're going to have to stop a lot because I've got to talk about things. So whenever you hear the fact that I've unmuted my mic... Just find a good place to stop. Okay, so the scripture is actually very plain and simple. And um, it doesn't contradict former revelation. But uh, if you are trying to use the scripture and the scriptures around it to go along with this narrative that you've made up in your mind, then um, uh, that polygamy is a horrible, evil, wicked abomination, then you're going to have to do mental gymnastics on a level of superhuman demigodism or something to try to get around it. It's simple. But you twist it and you turn it into something that's not simple um, you know, to try to like go along with some narrative that you have preconceived in your mind, and uh, because the polygamy is such a great offense to you. Now, I have laid down um, a good foundation to show that polygamy in the Bible is never condemned, except for in the case of multiplying wives, but even. Uh, even at that point, like Jacob, um, or, well, even King David and King Saul, like, King Saul was a polygamist. When he committed suicide, um, God gave the wives of Solomon, or not Solomon, uh, Saul, or Shaul, to King David. But King David already had wives, before he was anointed as king. So, um, so the whole multiplying of wives things is forbidden for kings to do, but multiplying of wives is not um, the simple basics of polygamy. That's above and beyond polygamy. So, um, and like the whole concubine things. Too. Like that, there is no place in Torah for concubines to exist. So I'm going to throw that one out and just say that King David was wrong for doing that. But he was not wrong for, um, you know, for, for living uh, with a polygamous lifestyle. So anyway, go ahead, Emmett. Okay, continuing on. As will be laid out in this article, the correct understanding of each of those phrases should be the following. First, to raise up seed infamy is a reference to the Lord raising up a righteous people who, obey, who will obey his commandments. Two, to command my people refers to the Lord's strict commandment of what they are to observe in order to become a righteous people. More specifically, it was the command that they should have only one wife and zero concubines. They shall hearken unto these things is a statement of the fact or observation and not a commandment, or observation, and not a commandment. 
the phrase these things throughout the sermon constantly refers or consistently refers to the main topic of discussion of having multiple wives and concubines. Uh, one again. In fact, Jacob's sermon, the sermon covers two topics, and the phrase these things is used consistently to reference them. First, it points to pride and greed for possessions and money. First topic, see verse 14 to 21. Then it refers to the main topic of the whoredoms and abominations of having many wives and concubines. Second topic, see verses 23, 24, 30, and 34. When we put that together, we get the following. As an appropriate rewording of Jacob 2, dash, or not 2, chapter 2, verse 30. For if I want to have a righteous people, I must command them to not have many wives or concubines, saith the Lord of hosts. Otherwise, they will always degenerate into practicing the whoredoms of having many wives and concubines, which is an abomination. Um, do you have anything to say? Because there's like another big part. Yeah, so here they are taking scripture and they're trying to say that it means the opposite of what it actually says. Um, a carnal people uh, that they're not ready to receive the higher laws of plural celestial marriage, um, they're always going to turn polygamy into something that it's not meant to be. So unless God gives a revelation that somebody should live plural celestial marriage, they should not live plural celestial marriage. So, um, I don't know what's so hard to understand about that. Also, um, like I've said in the past, like, um, I didn't ask for this but God gave it to me anyway when I was asking about where God was before the Big Bang. Because I was like, okay, well, if everything all started at this point of the Big Bang and God is eternal, where was God before the Big Bang? And, like, I really wrestled with that for a long time, and I tried to wrap my mind around it to the point where it, like, just gave me big old headaches. (laughs) I I, like, really mental exertion trying to understand and make it make sense and God took me up in the spirit and he asked or he showed me oh hold on some idiots driving their truck and they don't know what the heck they're doing anyway um excuse me they uh Okay, so when I was taken up in this out-of-body experience and I was in the spirit, um, God was standing next to me, and he took me into space, and I saw this huge nebula cloud type of thing. And I came down into this cloud, and I, I realized that, and I saw that it was made up of all of these little spheres of light. And God told me that these were the intelligence, or this is the intelligence, or the intelligences. And what that is, is before a spirit is born, the intelligence is the masculine and the feminine energies that is not self-aware. And God told me to look, and I looked, and I saw one of these orbs of light 
flash and, and two light or two orbs of light came out from from this orb of light. They separated like um, an atom separates or not. What's the uh, when a cell splits? It, it was kind of like that. Anyway, but it, it's light. All right. So and God told me that what I was witnessing was that when the, the masculine and the feminine energies separate, they become self, well, they, when it becomes self-aware, the masculine and the feminine energies separate and you have the birth of a spirit. Um, I was also told that the intelligences are eternal. Um, I was told that the laws of the universe are also eternal and that matter is eternal. Um, but when the, the spirits are, uh, become self-aware that there is an aging process that begins at that point. And, uh, for the male and the, uh, the female or the masculine and the feminine to remain separate and single, uh, eventually the spirit will cease to exist. And it takes a very long time for that to happen. But in order for the spirits to become, uh, to regain their eternal nature, uh, they can be stilled by something that God has figured out called the Holy Spirit of Promise. Hold on. I'm on wash plant. Go ahead and uh, continue reading. Okay. Got it. We can break down Jacob's sermon verse by verse, paying attention to the overall message and the three main points he reiterates throughout it. The structure of the message forms a parallelism, a parallelism, or the entire sermon may be divided into two halves which mirror each other equally, such as A, B, B, A. In this case, it forms the structure A, B, C, D, E, E, B, C, B, A with the E portion containing the apex of the message containing all of the main elements of the entire structure. This structure is most commonly referred to in scriptures as a chiasmus, or a chiasm. Chiasm. It's called, it's called a chiasm. chiasm. Yeah, chiasm. Uh, okay, so okay. I'm, was- I'm on top of wash plants. So I'll just say that in order for the masculine and the feminine to to gain eternal lives and to be re... um, to gain that eternal uh, energy that the intelligence has before it becomes self-aware, a masculine and a feminine must be filled by the Holy Spirit of promise. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11... Um, Paul is talking about how the woman uh, and the man like come together and they're in the Lord. They're one. And then in other places in scripture that talks about a man being one with his wife and the wife being one with their husband. So, um, and that is when they are still together by the Holy Spirit of promise. Now God reserves that blessing for those who qualify for it and they are called the elect. Now, here's the problem. There are many more elect who are females than there are males. The nature of the feminine um, qualifies 
them more so for this higher blessing than the male. Now, if there are four women or four female spirits who are elect to one male, God allows each one of those feminine to be sealed to the masculine separately. But there are four to one. If there's 20 to one, then the blessing for women is to be sealed to the one righteous male. Now, for um, somebody who is not qualified to live uh, because they're not elect, for them to live for a celestial marriage is an abomination. They have not qualified for it. They do not. Um, they do not qualify for the blessing, and um, and they haven't received revelation. So I've had a lot of people. They come to me as uh, you know who I am, and they say, well. I really want to live plural celestial marriage, and they only want to do it for carnal nature. Um, all of the other stuff that comes along with mortality, like this blessing is higher than that. But it is required for the female and the male to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, but also to be sealed up unto God at the same time. So, you know, if they don't qualify for it because they're living in a carnal state of mind, then it is an abomination. If they're trying to live it without receiving revelation, uh, and if they're trying to live it without the Lord's anointed um, receiving revelation for them to live it, then they're doing it out of order. And doing these things out of order is a Cain mindset, not a God or an Abel mindset. So Abel received instruction on how to, um, you know, to give sacrifice correctly. And Cain didn't like it. And Cain tried to do it a different way because he was going to do it the way he wanted to do it instead of doing it how God wanted it to be done. And that was Cain's first sin before he murdered anyone. So um, also, real quick, um, we're going to get into this, but I just wanted to make sure I covered it real quick. Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, the language of that revelation, many say that it was given eight years after Joseph died or something like that. But that's not true because in the Nauvoo Expositor, which was published before the death of Joseph and Hiram, it says, and it gives, revel it gives language of the revelation of section 132. Hold on. I'm at the terminal. <sighs> Green light to the three. Anyway, so um, so there's evidence before the death of Hiram and Joseph that section 132 existed. Now, we don't have the revelation beforehand. Apparently, well, okay, so I, I guess I got to go back. Um, Jane Law and William Law and others in the affidavit section of the Nauvoo Expositor on the second page, 
And if you go from left to right, column four, I think it is, it talks about the affidavits. And that's where you're going to see the affidavits of William and Jane Law and others talking about how Hiram read that revelation to them. Um, Also, that revelation um, was presented to uh, Emma, the wife of Joseph Smith, and I guess she threw it in the fire, the story goes, and uh, Joseph wrote it up again, but we don't have that document as far as I know. Um, And uh, there's some stuff that's troubling about that revelation, but... um, it may be that Brigham uh, altered the revelation. Um, but I think as well, I don't know. I I have to jump on the grid, so I guess I'm just going to have to mute myself. I'll continue hearing you as you're reading it, and then I'll try to address each point as it comes along. So go ahead, Emma. Continuing on. Um, this, this structure is the most, or most commonly referred to in the scriptures as a chiasmus or a chiasm. However, a chiasmus is simply one form of parallelism. The structure used in Jacob 2 is actually called an antimetable or antimetable. I can't pronounce that. Oh, it's right there. Antimetabole. <laughs> um, pay special attention to this or the repeated use of the word thing in verses 30, uh, 30, 34, 23, and 24. Each instance refers to polygamy. Jacob says this thing or these things repeatedly because it is a direct reference to the main topic of discussion. The whoredoms and abominations of polygamy. What's so interesting is that this is a chiasmus structure where verses 23 and 34 to 35 are the outer support blocks for verse 30. So ironically, the verse that people use to justify polygamy is actually the center point of a chiasmus condemning it. Furthermore, the phrase, saith the Lord, is used nine times throughout the chiasmus of only 13 verses. This is a remarkable emphasis not found in the scriptures at such a high rate. Uh, 23. But the word of God burns in me because because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures, so they seek to excuse them or excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which are written concerning David and Solomon, his son. Jacob makes it clear that polygamy is a gross crime or an iniquity. 24. Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. Uh, which thing is speaking of polygamy, it says. This is the first use of the term thing, which points to the main subject. Having many wives and concubines, polygamy. Note that this statement directly conflicts with the assertion in DNC 132, or section 132, that God gave David and Solomon all their wives and concubines, with the sole exception of Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. There are a handful of reasons to reject the notion that section 132 was a revelation given to Joseph Smith, especially since it didn't appear until eight years after Joseph's death. But this is one of the most blatant. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, I have led this people forth out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of my arm, that I may raise up 
unto me a righteous branch from the fruit of the loins of Joseph. Uh, and that was verse 25, I think? It says 25 before that. Uh, do you have anything to say, Dad? I'm assuming he's still out of service. I told you I was on the Grizz. I don't know any any terms. Okay. <laughs> uh, 26. Wherefore, I, the Lord God, will not suffer that this people shall do unto them of old, or do unto them, uh, do like unto them of old. Uh, that was like a little scrolling in the word. The Lord introduces the idea of raising a righteous people, and he juxtaposes that idea with the with what the people of Jerusalem were doing, like them of old. In other words, the wicked people in Jerusalem at the time of Leah, or not Leah, Lehi, were apparently engaged in this same practice of taking many wives and concubines, as they of old had. This is not, or no, this is what the Lord specifically led them away from. He wants to raise up people unto him instead, and he will not allow these people to commit the same crimes without severe punishment. Also notice that only David and Solomon were mentioned as excuse for polygamy, or as the excuse okay. for polygamy. Oh, okay. You have something to say? All right. So because of what King Herod did um, with uh, killing all of the male children at the, uh, before the age of two years old during the life of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ in their infancy – there were many, many more females in that time period than there were males. And polygamy was lived during the life of Jesus Christ. So I find it interesting that, that uh, in the time and culture of that time, whatever, uh, Jesus never condemned polygamy. Not one damn time. So when people are like, well... Part of the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem before the Babylonian captivity was because they were living polygamy, which is interesting because you're reading into Scripture what isn't actually written. Part of the reason for the destruction of Jerusalem was because what King Josiah did when he took the book of the law of the Lord, which was found in the temple, and added many vain and foolish things to the laws of God, which did not exist in the original Torah. They also were not keeping the Sabbath day on the correct day, which Jeremiah told them that God told him that if they would just repent and correct the Sabbath day worship and do it on the correct day, that God would turn away the evil which he committed to do to them. So when people are like, well, they were living polygamy in the days of Jeremiah the prophet. Well, you know what? They were living polygamy in the days of Jacob. Jacob was a polygamist and the 12 tribes or the 12 sons of Jacob were blessed as sons, not bastards, all of them. If polygamy was an evil abomination, God would not have blessed the majority of the 12 
sons of Jacob as sons. Furthermore, um, King David and his children were all sons. I mean, there's daughters too, but none of them were bastards except for the child that was born to Bathsheba because of the adulterous relationship between David and a married woman who was not married to David, Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah. That child was cursed as a bastard. So, uh, and then there's just like all of these other examples, and that's why I've been going over polygamy in the Bible. In order for them to come to the conclusion that Jacob chapter 2 is trying to tell us that polygamy is an abomination, you have to turn every other scripture on its head to make that work with your mental gymnastics. Now, if you believe the lie that polygamy is an abomination, according to the principles found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you receive strong delusion because you believe the lie of believing false doctrine and you are damned because of your false traditions and your false beliefs. All they who believe a lie receive strong delusion that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth. And I would add, they didn't love the truth enough to go to God to find out what the correct interpretation of Scripture is. I have seen people logic their way all over the flipping Scriptures, all over the Scriptures. Part of the reasons that Jews don't accept Jesus is because they logic all over the damn place. I've seen people use their logic to reject Mormonism and the prophet Joseph Smith even after they have a witness of the spirit that Joseph was a true prophet. But then they get their little logic out and they go crazy. I've actually watched my aunt who has seen Jesus face to face reject Jesus because she started logicking according to the, the logic of the Jews. When people say that, you, that the scriptures, um, like, you can study the scriptures and that will get you to God. Well, you know what? If you don't study the scriptures and get the correct interpretation of scripture by revelation to know what God's interpretation of scripture is, then you're going to be nothing more than every other apostate religion on the whole entire earth. Because it takes revelation. But if you're getting revelation after you have been cursed with a strong delusion, then the revelation you're getting is not from God. It's from a bad source. But you're going to believe it because you've been given over to strong delusion for believing the lie in the first place. And in order to come out of that strong delusion, you need to repent and turn away from your false lies and false doctrine. Anyway, okay, I will mute myself again. Thank you, Emmett. Uh, welcome. <laughs> okay, con- continuing on. Um, what's going on? 
Okay. Also notice that only David and Solomon were mentioned as excuses for polygamy. They were not even attempting to blame Abraham. This might be because the brass plates had the correct version of the story, the one where Abraham had not only a son, or had only one son and not two, and was never married to Hagar. Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, Jacob chapter 4, verse 5, DMC section 101, uh, verse 4, I believe. Uh, 27, wherefore, my brethren, hear me and hearken to the word of the Lord. For there shall be not any man among you to have save it be one wife. Um, oh, man. And concubines, he shall have none. I'm done with this. I kind of changed the sensitivity on the mouse because, like, I go to scroll down, like, a little bit, and it scrolls all the way to the next part of the page. <laughs> Jacob states the simple yet strict command of God. And this command matches all known and confirmed statements from Joseph Smith's own mouth and from the leaders of the church prior to his death, as well as from God's revelations to him on the subject. Men must have only one wife and zero concubines. And again, I verily, or verily I say unto you that whoso forbiddeth to marry is not ordained of God, for marriage is ordained of God unto man. Wherefore it is lawful that she, he should have one wife and that they twain shall be one flesh. My answer to the end of the creation, all this that the earth might answer the end of its creation, and it might be filled with the measure of man according to his creation. The NC section 49, verses 15 to 17. Two people become one through marriage, and that was how the mankind would answer the end of their creation. That means that one man and one woman is the eternal law because that is the purpose or end of their existence or creation. This revelation was part of the law of Zion, which was the law of the celestial kingdom. You have something to say, I guess. Yeah, and that would be the only law except for the fact that there are many more elect females than there are males. So God allows plural feelings. Uh, also, a man and a woman coming together and having sex and deciding to be married um, is not that God doesn't see that as in two people come together as a priesthood ordinance and are spelled together by the Holy Spirit of promise, then the marriage is acceptable in the eyes of God. But if it is not done in that way, then he doesn't consider them married. So... Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay, got it. Um, 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 uh, and again, verily I say unto you that whoso forbiddeth to marry God, or <laughs> to marry is not ordained of God, for marriage is ordained of God unto man. Wherefore, it is lawful that he should have one wife, and they claim shall be one flesh, and that all, oh, and that all this that the earth might answer the end of its creation. Oh, I realized I just started reading the wrong quote. <laughs> um, okay, um, that was something else is coming to my mind. Real, go ahead, Emma. Finish that part. Okay. Um, well, I was just reading part of DMC forty-nine, uh, fifteen to seventeen again. So, uh, yeah, and then I'm going to read BNC 105 next, so continue. Well, just hold on. Okay. Um, When Peter was given the filling keys and authority 
so that whatsoever he stilled on earth would be stilled in heaven, and whatsoever he loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. That was um, the sailing ordinances so that people could receive the, the sailing of the male to the female. Because in order for, a, uh, for the elect to receive the higher blessings, they have to be sealed. That's what that was all about. Like, what else is he sealing? He's sealing families together. And then there was a sealing ordinance uh, to where you were sealed up to the Father through the Son. Those sealing ordinances are given to a man on the earth who is the appointed and anointed of God. And never, no one holds the keys to that except for one person on the earth at a time. Joseph held those keys. Peter held those keys. And when the Father placed his hands upon my head and sealed me up to himself, he also sealed those keys upon me, and I am the appointed and the anointed Davidic servant that God set apart. And that happened in 2003, and I've held those keys the whole time, that um, ever since that time, you know, ever since 2003. I know that's crazy for people to believe because Rusty Nelson somehow holds them. Well... I don't know what to tell you. God's the one that gave it to me. God the Father physically gave them to me. So I hold them and I've used them. And um, I don't know. It's just a fight. Like, you know, trying to bring the house of God in order and to direct Ephraim is like herding cats. Nobody wants anybody to have any kind of authority over them, you know. But, like, the whole thing with, um, like, Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23. Moroni said that that man was Christ, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Well, Acts 3, 22 and 23, which is the quote that Moroni gives Joseph Smith, is talking about the man like unto Moses. And the man like unto Moses has said that if you do not hear the words of that prophet, and not, it's not only to hear, but it's to Shema, hear and obey, then you will be cut off from among the people. So these people that are like, I will not listen to anybody but Jesus Christ and whatever revelation comes into my brain, well, I'm sorry, God does have a man like unto Moses who is a Messiah, who would be rejected by his people. And something else interesting about that is Jesus had already been rejected by his people. So it's speaking of another Messiah or another Christ, which the Jews know as Messiah ben Joseph. And, um, and basically all it's saying is that this Messiah would come from the house of Joseph, not from Judah. Now, Jesus Christ came from the house of Judah, not Joseph. So, anyway, but, um, yeah, if you don't hear the man like unto Moses to Shema, to hear and obey, you'll be cut off from among the people. Even if you believe Jesus Christ, and even if you try to follow, but if you make that caveat, or if you, like, try to, like, put God in a box when he's telling you in Acts chapter 3 that you need to listen to this guy. Well, I don't know. 
Um, also, another thing, um, Joseph talked about God the witness or the Holy Ghost coming into mortality at a certain point in the future. Same death. You know, it's the same man. This Davidic servant is God. Am. And when Jesus said, I will send him to you, and he shall tell you all things what you shall do, that wasn't just a revelation or prophecy about some spiritual thing that, that the Holy Ghost would do. Of course, you know, throughout time, the office of the Holy Ghost and those ministering spirits acting in that office have prompted people and inspired people and given revelation to people. But this revelation that Jesus talks about, I will send God the witness comes in mortality. And it goes right along with this man like unto Moses and obeying him and hearing and obeying the Shema. And if you don't hear him, hear and obey, you will be cut off from among the people. Is it any wonder that Isaiah saw only a very small remnant actually be the ones that redeemed Zion? And like when I talked about earlier um, feeling like a failure, it's because, you know, nobody listens. Nobody hears and obeys. Everybody wiggles out of it. You know, because they don't want to have somebody over them that's in their midst telling them to their face that the things that they need to do. You know, everybody needs to get rebaptized. Everybody needs to have reconfirmation of priesthood. Everybody needs to receive the sealing ordinances that God has given for me to give to them if they are obedient. Everybody needs to gather. The gathering place is not anywhere but Emory, Utah, or Emory County, Utah. That's it. Right now, that's it. It's the sta- it's a staging place to go to in the, uh, so that when everything falls apart, we go to the highways of the top of the mountains and go down into the desert places which is where Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 35, saw Zion born in the wilderness. And people who are not obedient will not be part of that, and they will be destroyed from among the people because they're disobedient. So, anyway, all right, well, I'm going to mute myself again. Go ahead, Emmett. Okay, continuing on. Five. And Zion cannot be built up unless it is by the principles of the law of the celestial kingdom. Otherwise, I cannot receive her unto myself. DMC, section 105, uh, verse 5. Notice this, this statement also contradicts the teaching in section 132. In the teachings of Brigham Young, which state that the plurality of lives, or of wives, is the law of the celestial kingdom. Inasmuch or four, inasmuch as this Church of Christ has been reproached 
with the crime of fornication and polygamy, we declare that we believe that one man should have one wife and one woman, but one husband, except in case of death where either is at liberty to marry again. BNC section 101, uh, verse 4, first and second edition. It was removed by Brigham Young from third edition in 1876. Uh, back to Jacob 2. 28. For I, the Lord God, delight in the chastity of women, and whoredoms are an abomination before me, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Multiple wives, polygamy is a whoredom and an abomination. Uh, this, uh, I don't know, it looks like it says this these. Um, I think it's thesis, but they typoed. It's connected through verses 23, 24, 28, 31, and 33. Um, 29. Wherefore, this people shall keep my commandments, saith the Lord of hosts, or cursed be the land for their, or for their sakes. Jacob refers again to what the Lord commanded. Each man shall have but one wife, and concubines he shall have none. Verse 27. 30. For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise heat up unto me, I will command my people, otherwise they shall hearken unto these things. This statement that the people will hearken unto these things connects all references about these things to the main subject of the discourse, namely the whoredom and abomination of taking many wives and concubines, polygamy. Um, Additionally, Jacob quotes God saying, Raise up seed unto me, which is a direct reference to raising a righteous people and not producing as many children as possible. It is a reference to the earlier statement that God specifically led Levi away from the whoredoms of Jerusalem so that his descendants might righteously obey God's commandments, including one or the one for men to have only one wife and zero concubines. Also reiterated again in verse 34. <clears throat> This thought is capped with the statement or with a statement of fact, not a command, but that serves as a lesson. If God does not explicitly and strictly command his people to be chaste or to be chased by having only one wife and zero concubines, they fall into whoredoms and abominations of having multiple wives and concubines. And it says in parentheses, polygamy. Uh, thirty. For if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, a righteous branch, verse twenty five. I will command my people one wife to zero concubines. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things, whoredoms and abominations of multiple wives and concubines. Polygamy. 31. For behold, I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow and heard the mourning of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem, yes, and on all the lands of my people, because of the wickedness and the abominations of their husbands. Do you have something to say, Dad? Actually, I'm just trying not to throw up. I'm so sad. The only reason I'm driving right now is because I'm not dizzy like I was before, but, like, trying to keep food down is hard, and... uh, All right, now I'm just fighting. You you take your left hand, you put it on the face of your palm, and you squeeze your hand really, really hard for a while. Do what? 
So you take your left hand, you put your thumb like directly in the middle of your palm, and you squeeze your hand really hard. Um, and some people that like make you not nauseous, it makes you not throw up, it reduces your gag reflex by a lot, it does a lot of weird stuff when you do that. <laughs> weird. I have no hard idea. To do when you're driving, driving a truck with no hands is not <laughs> advisable. You're just supposed to like make a really tight fit, basically. How about I just grip the steering wheel really, really hard, and hopefully that works. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> anyway, okay. like, so what I was saying before, like, if you're not supposed to live polygamy, there's there's a carnal nature to polygamy that is wrong. And people shouldn't live it unless they are commanded to live it. My biggest problem with this interpretation of Jacob chapter 2 is it turns all the rest of the scriptures on their head to make this one thing work, and it doesn't work. The other thing, too, there's polygamy in the Book of Mormon, and I've gone over that as well. You know, uh, I think it's in... um, Holy Priesthood Volume 4 talks about that and the polygamy in the Book of Mormon. You know, and people who read it with a Gentile mindset might not see it, but it's there, and it's all over the dang place. So, um, that we're using the Bible to lay down the foundation of polygamy, and nowhere in the Bible does God condemn polygamy. So, and Joseph Smith, in April 1844, said, in the times and seasons, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you set them down as imposters. So, you know, that one of the really sad things that I've seen in my life is that People will be raised up by God because many are called but few are chosen. And what happens is they are raised up by God to do a thing and then they start like going off into their iniquity, departing the path that God has laid out for them and they become Judas goats. And people will follow the Judas goats, but they won't follow the righteous man who is appointed to lead them. So, um, and say it's a satanic principle that Satan will will tell you a lot of true things, and he will, in key points, lead you astray to uh, you know to destruction. So, what a Judas goat is is you've got a goat that is raised up with the sheep, and the goat. The farmers or ranchers or whatever, they'll train the sheep to follow the goat. They teach the goat to go up the chute into the slaughterhouse, and right before the goat goes into the door where they're going to be killed, the goat will be pulled off to the left hand or to the right hand, and all of the sheep are pushing and shoving the sheep through the other sheep through the door and they go into the slaughter and the the Judas goat is 
has done his job. And God raises up Judas goats so that the people who will not follow him, but they'll follow these Judas goats, they will be destroyed. Because God doesn't want you to follow somebody without following, you know, getting revelation. But so like when the people are uh, raised up some prophet and they become idols to the people, um, then that person becomes a Judas goat, even if they're raised up by God. So, and Joseph Smith talked about um, that the people, you know, are darkened in their minds because they follow the prophet too much because they won't get revelation for themselves. So, so we all do have to get revelation for ourselves. But like, if the prophet's telling you and showing you all that the that the scriptures do not support your interpretation of scripture, you know, I don't know how to get people to realize that they're going down a wrong path and they're becoming a Judas goat when they should have been a servant of God, which is what these people are doing. And it's sad for me to see it, but, but you know, I can't do anything about it. And if they want to continue going down that path, they will not be part of Zion's redemption. They will not have shamad to the man like unto Moses, who is giving them the reason for why polygamy is important. And, you know, these plural celestial uh, feelings are important, and they're not going to be part of Zion's redemption unless they repent no matter how much they desire to be part of it, because all they're doing is becoming a Judas goat, and they're actually fighting against the true principles of the law of God um, instead of supporting them. So, and I, I'm sorry, you know, all they who believe in why receive strong delusions, they might be damned because they did not love the truth. And this is one of the examples of that happening. So anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay, uh, continuing on. Um, oh, where were we at? Okay, um, I believe that I remember reading that. So, I'm going to start here. Fortify, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, a righteous branch, verse 25. I will command my people, one life, zero concubines. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things, whoredoms and abominations of multiple wives and concubines. Polygamy. 31. For behold, I, the Lord, have seen the sorrow and heard the mourning of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem, yea, and in all the lands of the people, or of my people, because of the wickedness and abominations of their husbands. The Lord specifically mentions his daughters because they are, what, or are the ones who suffer under polygamy. It is again reiterated that it is an abomination and a wickedness of men. And it is again reiterated that not only Jerusalem was under the burden of this sin, but all the lands of his people. Because, as he just mentioned, they always degenerate into this wickedness. 32. And I will not suffer, saith the Lord of hosts, that the cries of the fair daughters of this people, which I have let out of the land of Jerusalem, shall come up unto me against the men of my people, saith the Lord of hosts. 
After bringing them away from Jerusalem to escape the whoredoms and abominations of polygamy, the Lord was not willing to allow, or was not willing to allow the Nephite men to fall into the same pattern as outlined in verse 30. 33. For they, er, for they shall not lead away captives, the daughters of my people, because of their tenderness. Save I shall visit them with a sore curse, even unto destruction, for they shall not commit whoredoms like unto them of old, saith the Lord of hosts. The whoredom of polygamy is a worthy or is worthy of a curse, the threat of destruction, and he will not allow his people to be like unto them of old. Again referring to David and Solomon. Notice there is no mention of Abraham because Abraham did not practice polygamy. Well, the record as contained in Genesis is entirely fallible, uh, fallible, fallible on this matter, having been altered by the wicked. Uh, Deuteronomists who wanted to justify polygamy. It is clearly an abomination, according to the Lord here. 34. And now behold, my brethren, you know that these commandments, no polygamy, only yeah, one I guess no Jacob was living abomination, you know. I'm sorry. I, like, there's more polygamy in the Bible than Abraham. There's a lot more. So attacking it, saying, oh, the Deuteronomists. God, these people can go to hell. I'm cutting them off. They want to throw this crap around. I'm cutting them off. Like, they can be the Judas goes that they want to be. I, I think I'm just done. I think I'm going to be done dealing with these people. And you know what? If they reject me, fine. They can reject God and go to hell. So sick and tired. Oh, let's 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 use the Deuteronomist to show that Abraham was never a polygamist. But what about Jacob? What about everywhere else in the whole scripture that talks about polygamy? Oh, we're just gonna throw that all away. You know what? They can go to hell. They can go to hell with their stupid ideas about how God somehow took away the Melchizedek priesthood. Anyway, me and myself, I'm going up the stupid canyon to the mine. I'll, I'll, I don't know. Go ahead, I'm right. Okay. Yeah, you're just breaking up a tiny little bit. So it's like, what? And then you're like, go ahead, Emmett. <laughs> okay. Continuing on. And now we hold my brethren... You know that these commandments, no polygamy and only one wife and no concubines, were given to our father Lehi. Wherefore, ye have known them before, and ye have come unto great condemnation, for ye have done these things, polygamy, many wives, and concubines, which ye ought not to have done. The Nephites knew better because God explicitly uh, reiterated these commandments to Lehi. This is an extension of verse 30, where he says that if he wants to raise up a righteous people, he has to explicitly and strictly command them to have only one wife and zero concubines. Yet Nephites under Jacob were already, uh, I don't know how to say that either, Enining? Enining? Uh, E-G-I-N-N-I-N-G, to do polygamy anyway. Maybe it's aining. Uh, 35. Behold, ye have done greater iniquities than the Lamanites, our brethren. 
Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children because of your bad examples before them and the sobbings of their hearts ascend up to God against you and because of the strictness of the word of God. See verse 27. The word of God is only one wife, no concubines, or else face the threat of destruction which cometh down against you. Many hearts died pierced with deep wounds. Polygamy is a selfish and gross crime, and the victims are the wives slash wife and the children. The Lord is more pleased with the Lamanites for sticking to the commandment of having only one wife and zero concubines. That is a bold statement considering the overall degenerate state of the Lamanites. Parallel structure of Jacob's sermon. Uh, parallel structure of Jacob's, Jacob's admonition or admonition against polygamy, Jacob 2. A, 23. But the word of God burdens me because of your grosser crimes. For behold, thus saith the Lord, this people begin to wax in iniquity. They understand not the scriptures. Ugh, I have a cough, sorry. They understand not the scriptures, for they seek to excuse themselves in committing whoredoms because of the things which were written concerning David and Solomon his son. 24. Behold, David and Solomon truly had many wives and concubines, which thing was abominable before me, saith the Lord. B. 25. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord, I have led this people forth out of the, hand of, or out of the land of Jerusalem by the power of mine arm. I raise up unto me a righteous branch from the fruit of the loins of Joseph. 26. Uh, see, wherefore I, the Lord God, will not suffer that this people shall do unto them, or do like unto them, void. 27. Wherefore, my brethren, hear me and hearken to the word of the Lord, for there shall not, there shall not any man among you have save it be with one wife. And concubines he shall have none. 28. For the Lord I God delight in the chastity of women. D. And whoredoms are an abomination before me, thus saith the Lord of hosts. 29. Wherefore, this people shall keep my commandments, saith the Lord of hosts, or cursed be the land for their sake. Uh, e. Again, like on the reverse. 30. For if, or for if I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, I will command my people. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things. D. 31. For behold, if or for behold, I, the Lord, uh, have seen the sorrow and heard the mourning of the daughters of my people in the land of Jerusalem. Yea, and all of the lands of my people, or and in all of the lands of my people, because of the wickedness and abominations of their husbands. C. 32. And I will not suffer, saith the Lord of hosts, that the cries of the fair daughter of this people uh, be which I have led out of the land of Jerusalem, shall unto me against the men of my people, saith the Lord of hosts. 33. For they shall not lead away captive the daughters of my people because of their, tender, uh, because of their tenderness. Say I shall visit them with a sore curse, even unto destruction. A. For they shall not commit whoredoms like unto them of old, saith the Lord of hosts. 33. For they shall not lead away captive the daughters of my people because of their tenderness. Say I shall visit them with a sore curse, even unto destruction. For they shall not commit whoredoms like unto them of old, or unto them of old, saith the Lord of hosts. 34. 
And now behold, my brethren, ye know these commandments were given to our father Lehi. Wherefore, ye have known them before, and ye have come unto great condemnation, for ye have done these things which ye ought not to have done. 35. Behold, ye have done greater iniquities than the Lamanites, our brethren. Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children because of your bad examples before them and the sobbings of their hearts hearts ascend up to God against you. And because of the strictness of the word of God, which cometh down against you, many hearts died, pierced with deep wounds. And that is the end of the thing you had in your events. Okay. Well, can you uh, pull up the studio and cue the music? Because uh, we're almost to the end of the live streaming portion of the program. And I'm on the host line. And as soon as I drop off, which will happen, it'll just get cut off. So I think we'll just end the program at this point. Thank All you, right. Emma, for You're reading going. for me. Welcome. Yeah. Going and then better. just cue the music. What's that? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't coughing the whole time. It felt a lot better while talking. It was awesome. Okay. Well, cue the music like before, as soon as you can. All right. Um, okay, cue the music as soon as you can, Emmett. The program's going to end, and I'm going to drop off, and it was just cut off. So please end, end the music. Cue the music. Thank you. Thank you.